As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, I'm going to throw a phrase out at you, and, well, just let me know what crosses your mind. All right, shoot. Imposter syndrome. Ah, yeah, okay, imposter syndrome. Um, okay, I first think of the definition, which is roughly like the belief that one's skills and talents are in doubt, where somebody worries that they're seen as a fraud, right? Or maybe they don't have the skills that they should have, and somebody believes they're not really worthy to be in the position that they're currently in. That definitely encapsulates it uh, and what else i mean I, I think it's especially prevalent in entrepreneurs and product people because of all the people i know who have confessed to me that they have a bit of imposter syndrome most of them come from like one of those two groups yeah it's definitely something that just seems to run rampant and start in product world for sure are you bringing this up because you have imposter syndrome i'll admit like i definitely in the past have had those feelings i mean i, I try to remind myself though now that 
I am worthy. I'm not a fraud, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely had those feelings. Well, good. I mean, you should remind yourself of that. Well, thank you. But I, you know what? I'm not bringing it up because of me. I'm bringing it up because actually it relates to one of the confessions that we're going to be discussing today on Rocketship.fm as we continue the season on Workplace Confessionals. So we may as well get right into it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. All right, time to get started. The confessionals, they are open. Let's get rolling. <laughs> I feel like we're at a Catholic church here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it sounds like we've got one related to a bit of imposter syndrome. Is that right? That is right. But first, I want to bring in our special guest that we're going to have to dissect this week's confessions. Is he an expert on imposter syndrome? Well, I'll let him speak to that. Uh, but no, not necessarily. Um, but Honestly, he could probably speak to any product-related issue. Our guest is Randy Silver, and if you love product podcasts, you probably already know about Randy. He's the co-host of a popular product podcast called The Product Experience. The Product Experience is a great podcast for sure, hosted by Randy and Lily Smith. I remember listening to a recent episode with Devarius Brown on the power of mentoring. It was definitely, definitely worth a listen. Yeah, and even before this podcast that Randy and Lily started, uh, Randy's been a great product consultant and coach helping product teams thrive. And as an author, he recently wrote a book, What Do We Do Now?, which is a guide for product managers to think about strategy in the times of COVID-19. The fact that he released this in the spring of 2020 while COVID was just taking shape around the world is pretty impressive honestly. So yes, great guest for today's show. And yes, the first confession we'll be reviewing with Randy, it does have to do with imposter syndrome. Here it is, a confession we're calling, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm ready to make my confession. And you said you'd keep this anonymous, so I sure hope you're keeping that promise. My confession is, I really don't know what I'm doing. At least that's how I feel most days. But it's not like I'm just breaking into product management. I've been in product roles for the past 10 years. I have a VP title. I speak at two to three conferences a year when conferences were a thing. I recently got named to a thought leader list in the field of product management. I get asked for mentorship from younger product people all of the time. I end up spelling to my wife that really, I'm making shit up as I'm going along. I have no idea if every other product leader feels this way too, or if really, I've pulled the wool over everybody's eyes, and I'm the only one who seemed to pull off this big con. And sure, I, I know some things, but I definitely don't feel like the product leader that most look at me as. So yes, my confession, I don't know what I'm doing. Seriously, I pretty much could have written this confession. <laughs> Did you? In the interest of keeping <laughs> things anonymous, I will not confirm nor deny that I wrote this confession. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I didn't write it, but whoever did write this, we've got you. Here's Randy's take. I think it's easier to count on one hand the number of product leaders who don't feel this way because looking at this confession, I think I might have written it, but I'm, I don't think I actually submitted one. So it, it, it's not actually me, but it sure sounds like me. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows what they're doing. And part of it is product management is so amorphous and such a big thing. We're asked to solve all of these problems. And how, how can we be perfect at it? And there's always 
the other thing is we're all really good at talking, or at least we like to think we're really good at talking. So we're all telling everybody else how great we are at doing it because stakeholder management and reputation is part of the job. So we all make it sound like we're doing great. It's like that analogy about ducks. You know, it's all smooth on top and uh, paddling furiously under the water. Like you mentioned before, it it's probably more common to not feel this way. Um what do we do about it? I mean, or, or do we just sort of do we just sort of assume that this is how life is for product people like throughout their whole career? We're, we're always going to be battling these feelings. Um, I think the first thing is to actually just chill out a little bit and recognize that this is not uncommon. We all kind of feel this way. And also learn to embrace it a bit because the thing that we're actually really good at and the thing that is our job is creating environments where we're asking good questions. Because if we knew the answers or if the answers were easy, we wouldn't have to work on this stuff. Everyone would already be doing it and doing it right. So uncertainty is the area that we're, we work in. We're trying to navigate uncertainty, to de-risk the uncertainty, to get us to a better place as efficiently as possible. And that's you know the short iteration cycles, the experimentation, the discovery, the research. That's all because there's so much that we don't know. The one thing I do know is how to work on creating a good environment for people to answer those questions and to work on that kind of stuff. I don't pretend like I know all the answers for the business, but if I can help create a better environment for people to be asking those questions and working together, then I think I'm doing my job. And I think that for anybody who's in a leadership position, if you can do that for the people around you, then you're doing an amazing job. I, I would wonder if they're getting pushed in a direction where they still have some learning to do and they just need to recognize that. I think oftentimes, you know, we we have a VP title, but our responsibilities change as we go through the day. I think acknowledging that is okay and recognizing that the company that they work for trusts them to learn, right? We're, we're not always required to know everything, but we're required to keep growing. I love that. And I think that's the fun part of the job, isn't it? That there's stuff that we are good at and we can do, but we are being employed to help figure out other stuff and learn more and, yeah, explore. Yeah, so it's a little forgiveness is okay. Totally. No, well, and I think this – I'm glad that we're, we did use this confession because hopefully – if there's a whole lot of other people out there, like I know that there are that have the same feeling, it's like, it, it's okay. You know, not, you're not the only one, but also just e even as you grow in your career, I mean, if we're, we're not challenging ourselves to be uncomfortable, like if we, if we felt like we knew everything there is to know that actually probably is a problem in product management and entrepreneurship too. Like, I feel like those are two areas where you kind of have to constantly push yourself to be in places where you're, you're not the expert at every single little thing. Like you're constantly learning new things. So I actually think it's a really good, it might be an uncomfortable feeling, but I actually think it's probably a really good feel, a good thing that this person feels this way maybe. Yeah, and actually the one practical piece of advice is if you can find a community of other people who have a similar, uh, who are at a similar level to you and just have a little private community where you can talk to each other and confess what you don't know and ask each other for support, it's incredibly valuable. I heard David Washa talking about that a couple of years ago. It's something I do with a, a group of people. I know other people do it. It is incredibly freeing. And the support group among people who are your peers is really valuable and really freeing. I love that. And we, you know, we can all find our own small groups 
and if we feel like that we don't have those small groups to turn to, there's there's big groups out there. There's big communities. I know, obviously, like we, I co-founder of Product Collective. That's one. Randy, I know you're super involved with Product Collective, but also Mind the Product, which is another giant product community. Like that's the cool thing is there are awesome communities that we could be a part of and turn to. And, and there's other people just like us that that can help us too. All right, we're going to pause right here and take a short break to hear from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. Okay, before the break, we heard the confession we called, I don't know what I'm doing. The next confession, it's a little bit different. It is. uh, Now we have a situation where a product person is realizing that they're a product building something that honestly could have some negative implications. It's better to just cut right to the confession. Here it is. The confession we're calling, I'm helping create a monster, and I don't know what to do. I'm a product manager at a very large social content company. I'm pretty positive our app would be installed on your phone, but I don't want to say more. Anyway, it's a great job, and it pays well. And really, it's a company that most people would dream to work for. It's hard to get in here, and once I got the role I have, it felt like such a huge accomplishment. I'm tasked with engaging our users to use our platform more. Basically, increase the time that they spend in-app or on-site. Here is the thing. I've noticed that some of our users are really spending a ton of time engaging with the content. And that's great. But the algorithm that's in place to help optimize this continues to recommend content that we think that they like. In theory, that's very helpful to the user. They like certain content, we show them more content that we're pretty sure that they like. But I know that some of the content is questionable. Not just cat meme type stuff, but some things that may qualify as conspiracy theory. Fake news kind of stuff. We do have some guardrails in place for some content, but I don't know, it just is starting to feel a little weird. I've brought this up before to my team, but the general consensus is that it's not my team's job to worry about the content. 
there are other teams for that. Our job is to get people to keep engaging with the content. I feel like I'm at an ethical crossroads here and I'm not quite sure what to do. I feel like we've built this monster and now I'm worried that it could actually hurt people. This is actually a pretty juicy one. Yeah, and we're seeing so many situations like this one popping up uh, where things are created with good intentions, but now that the product actually works, uh, honestly, is designed, it results in something that ends up being, well, at least parts of it, not very good. Let's hear from Randy. It terrifies me, but it also makes me a little bit happy, to be honest, because the, the, the terrifying part is pretty obvious. The part that makes me happy is that they're asking the right questions. They're trying to figure out what to do about it. And they're asking for help. And they're recognizing that there is a problem. And you can't fix any problem if you ignore it completely and you don't acknowledge it. Uh, the bigger question is, we big up the title of product manager a lot. There's that whole thing around CEO of the product and all that other crap that I hope people don't listen to anymore. And the reality is most of the time we're middle managers and we don't always have the ability to influence strategy and direction. And we're being asked to optimize a specific objective. And that's exactly what this person's being asked to do. But they're looking at it uh, as any good product person would from a systemic level and realizing systemically, this is bad. This does not work. Optimizing for this one thing is not good for the world. Um, I was talking to a guy named Dave Dylan, David Dylan Thomas yesterday, who's got a book called Design for Cognitive Bias. And it's exactly about this sort of thing. Um, there are various exercises you can run with your team that will help emphasize some of the problems that will come out of this. Uh, there's things like consequence scanning is a, is a good one, a good way of doing it. Uh, there's a friend of mine named Roshi Proven who uh, I've had on my podcast, and she's done some great talks about uh, the black mirror test, which is taking a look at your product or your feature with your team and saying, if we are running a Twilight Zone or a black mirror episode, what would the plot be if this was the central thing in it? And you can come up with some absolutely terrifying stuff as a result. The problem is, what do you do with it then? Where do you go with it? And if the attitude of this company is that they fundamentally don't care, then you've got a problem. The easy thing to say is leave and tell everyone about it and make noise about it. But that is a very easy thing for me to say sitting here where I am, not having your job, not knowing your life circumstance, not knowing what you need. So there is no really good, easy ethical answer to this. Um, keep raising it, keep pushing it as you can, keep trying to make the change. Yeah, well, I, I think what we're seeing now is there's actually a business case example for doing the right thing. And I think we've seen companies like YouTube start to take a stance of, uh, we need to clean this up because actually having this content is bad for for business. So I think what they need to do is is find that business case example for their company and start to raise it. If you can make the case that the company is actually in danger of being sued, of being um, you know a, of a potential lawsuit, of losing customers who don't uh, you know who may find this content and not want to be associated with a platform that is is willing to host it. I, I would find those examples and start to build that case internally. Yeah, I will. I will say, I know. I mean, in this case, we don't know everything, right? They said that there is a team that does stuff with content. So, you know, maybe they're 
maybe the company feels like that's the best way to handle it. I, I think one challenge is that these teams seem very separate from each other too. So you have somebody on this um, product team that actually wants to have a better view of the bigger picture. And so I, you know, I think going back to what you said, Michael, like trying to be that voice to say, and Hey, it's not like we're not doing anything in company, you know, whatever company this is, but, but, you know, maybe it's like trying to encourage more collaboration among the teams as well. Um, cause at least in this case, it seems like it's, it's pretty far apart. Um, yeah, Randy, I'm curious, like what, what else do you feel like they should be asking themselves? And it maybe, maybe again, in this case, they're asking the right questions for, for companies that maybe they're not asking those questions yet. I love that example you gave about, um, the, you know, black mirror, like what are, what are some other things that you feel like they should remind themselves? Yeah, and I'm embarrassed I didn't answer this the first time around um, because I wrote a book last year called What Do We Do Now? And it was uh, what do we do in a moment of, of crisis where things are changing? And the reality is uh, we're product managers. We're supposed to understand our customers, understand the market, and understand how to thread that space. So what do we do? We go back and we do discovery and understand these stuff, uh, this stuff and make sure we're asking the right questions. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get uh, Jeff Gotthelf and Josh Seiden to, to publish the book. And Josh is a brilliant author because I had written a whole section on doing marketplace analysis and strategy. And he said, why didn't you include scenario planning? And I said, What's, what's scenario planning? And then I went and looked it up and said, okay, this is a management consulting thing. I've never heard of it, but I've been doing variations on this for a long time. So I added scenario planning into it. And this is a very good one. And it actually really timely for the problem um, because people have been talking about section 230 uh, and the protections that it affords. And I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert in it, but if you were to uh, gameplay, what happens if section 230 is repealed or changed? And you were to say, what happens to our business model if now all of a sudden we are liable for all the bad stuff that's set on our platform or for the algorithms that we use in a way that we're not currently? And try and say, well, how do we create a viable business model that's as good or better than what we're doing now uh, that enhances our reputation and uh, meets all of our profitability and growth goals without the protections of 230 as it's written now? What would that look like? And that actually sounds like a really positive and plausible way of doing future planning that might get people to start listening to you. And it might not be something where you're going to make a change across the entire platform, but you might get the ability to run some experiments. And whether it's in small tweaks here and there or changing it in one country or, some, or one language, that would potentially be massive and has the potential for a lot of good. And it just seems... You know, we're spitballing here, so I'm not going to pretend that this is easy or is something that you should just do. But that's a place that I would love to explore. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's probably something that they can get buy-in to on, even without explicitly saying why, right? So <laughs> situations like this are are it's like cr kind of crazy when you think about it. Like we we all work so hard and pray and hope that our products can get to this level where they have this kind of power. But once they do have this kind of power, like we now we need to think about things that we may, maybe didn't even have to think about before because now they can have this big impact on people. Um, and sometimes that impact can go for the positive, but in this case, it's, you know, there there's obviously cases where it could go for the negative too. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
two more confessions in the books. Yeah, these are some good ones. I, I like this episode. And we'll finish with one big takeaway for each of these confessions, and I may as well get us started. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with that first confession that we heard all about imposter syndrome. My big takeaway is that if you're feeling like an imposter in what you're doing, you feel like you're a fraud, maybe you don't know what you're doing, look, you're not alone. This is not something that you're only experiencing. Uh, lots of people experience this, especially entrepreneurs and product people. And, you know, imposter syndrome, my take on it is that it's not an altogether bad thing. Uh, if anything, it could keep us somewhat grounded, uh, help us not get too carried away with the highs of our work. There's some value in that, but I do think it's really important to remind ourselves that we are doing great work. During the beginning of the pandemic, things were really rough for me personally, honestly. I mean, I was already feeling imposter syndrome when things were great in the world, and then things took a turn for the worse. My company was threatened. I mean, we're a live conference company. When the pandemic started, I had no idea what was going to happen with us. Um, I remember my wife suggesting, hey, look, every week, make a point to outline three things that went right this week, three things that you're proud of. And so I did. I wrote those things down. I, I glanced at them when I needed that reminder. And you know what? It actually helped. Uh, and I'm bringing this up because I think if you're out there experiencing imposter syndrome, chances are you're doing great work. So remind yourself about the good stuff that you're doing. It's important that you do that. I think it's a great takeaway for sure. And hey, Mike, you are doing great work. I want you to know that. And I'm being actually serious right now. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. What's your what's your takeaway here? Okay. Mine is going to come from this last confession. I am helping to create a monster and I don't know what to do. My takeaway is product ethics is a thing. No matter what kind of product we're building, whether we're working on a behemoth app that reaches millions of people or we're just starting out, we need to think through the implications of our work. What are the positive outcomes? What are the negative outcomes? Actually, one of my favorite books on product is The Social History of the Machine Gun. And it relates directly to what we're building today. It was a lot of well-intended people trying to solve a problem, but in the end, we've created more powerful devices that end up doing extreme harm to humanity. And while that is literally a weapon, I, I think what we're seeing is inside of our social networks and the places that we interact online, the same type of destruction is happening. And so this confession was raw. I, I think a lot of people are facing this dilemma, and I think we need to do whatever we can to bring ethics into our, our industry um, in order to at least help mitigate some of these these larger issues. So too often when we're building, we're just focused on feeding that North Star metric. We got to back up because it is our responsibility to think about the other effects our product can cause as well. Yeah, all, all of that really well said, Michael, for sure. So um, that is really going to sum things up for today, I think. Yeah, that'll cap it off. But thank you for being here with us. A big thanks to our guest, Randy Silver. Again, check out his book that he recently wrote, What Do We Do Now? All profits from the book are being donated to COVID-19 relief efforts. So honestly, it's a great cause. Yes, definitely. And we'll see you right here again next week for two more confessions. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to the Podglomerate. 
rocketship.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.